0: This podcast may contain content that is graphic and disturbing in nature. Listener discretion is advised. Did a Facebook war between a young woman and a young couple inspire a savage act of violence, or was this rivalry about something much more than words on a screen? This is the Janelle Potter story. All right. right. Amy, welcome back to the studio. Hi, Megan. It's been a couple of weeks since we've recorded and I've missed you. Oh. And I have to say the case I'm covering today captured my attention because it involves issues like cyberbullying and stalking. And we haven't really done much on crimes involving social media, have we?
1: The only one I could think of is Michelle
0: Carter. Right. So I was thinking about the Michelle Carter one as well. And I know that was a lot of texting mm-hmm. as well. And, and cyberstalking wasn't always a crime and wasn't always taken very seriously, but it's certainly is now. And trust me when I tell you that it's cases like today's that remind us exactly why. But before we start off today's episode, we want to give credit to our supporters who help make it possible for us to keep
1: bringing you important cases like this one. So let us say thank yous. We have Mary Ruth Ardea Jen Baker, Amelia and Tiffany from the Deep South.
0: Oh wow, I like that you put deep South. Isn't that Thank cool? you so much ladies. We appreciate the support. Thank you all so much for your support. And we just released a bonus episode as well to our patrons just a couple days ago. Yes, it's a little different. We covered a cult leader. I know and we can't wait to hear your thoughts about it. We look forward to seeing you at future AMAs. Yes, back to the Janelle Potter case. Janelle was a woman in her mid-20s who had moved to Mountain City, Tennessee with her parents in 2005. This was a small town of 2,500 people. And being newcomers, they were also kind of outsiders. How big is your town? I have no idea. Yeah, I'm just thinking. I've never lived. (laughs) But I've never lived in a town. I mean, I know, like, I think the town I grew up in, there was like maybe
1: 250,000 people. I've always been in larger towns as well
0: so that's to me when i hear 2500 i hear
1: yeah that's small town
0: yeah and i think of people really who did just they were born and lived there janelle had struggled with medical issues stemming from type 1 diabetes and her parents barbara and marvin aka buddy had cared for her and it seems somewhat sheltered her from the world janelle was in her mid-20s but she didn't drive she didn't work Oh, wow. Right. And we'll definitely. Was it like a walking town? Is that why? Or she really just like dependent? No, she depended on Buddy and Barbara. I think that it was almost like a mutual dependency, but I'll let you decide for yourself. Barbara worked at Hewlett-Packard and Buddy was a former Marine and according to him, a former CIA agent as well. Hmm. Janelle was emotionally immature and she had some learning disabilities. And her sister, who is mostly estranged from the family, said that Janelle's parents, Buddy and Barbara, would tell Janelle how different she was. They would tell her that she was different, that she was special, but they also expected her to somehow fit in, which is a contradiction and sends mixed signals. Mm -hmm. She said that Janelle could not make friends easily, and this is why she turned to Facebook as her form of socialization, which I, I don't know. I, I think would,
1: many kids do. Yeah, I would,
0: wouldn't say that's uncommon. But in one interview, Janelle's sister, Christy, added that Janelle was still capable of doing normal everyday things, but her parents just did it for her. And I'm not sure as to exactly why. On a trip one day to the local pharmacy, the clerk named Tracy Greenwell befriended Janelle and introduced her to her brother, Billy Payne, and her cousin, Jamie Kurd, both males. Tracy, Billy, Jamie, and Janelle basically started hanging out and became friends. So this was a new and interesting turn for Janelle. They brought her into their social group and she actually started to have a social life. Her parents let her go out, but when she talks in an interview, she said she had a curfew in her 20s. And, you know, she talks about a lot of the rules. She wasn't allowed to drink. She wasn't allowed to smoke. Things that you would not usually expect to be part of an adult child's life. But unbeknownst to Janelle's parents, Jamie, and this was the clerk's cousin, and Janelle began a romance. I'm not sure why this would have been such a problem between two consenting adults. How old was he? Good question. That may have been the problem. I don't know his exact age, but he was significantly older. So if Janelle was in her mid-20s, I want to say Jamie was in his 40s. And this may have been the problem, but It's also still a red flag that a grown woman is hiding a relationship. She actually introduced Jamie. She introduced them all to her family. And Jamie would come over and visit Janelle as a friend. And Jamie got to be friends with Barbara and Buddy. He would help them out around the house with odds and ends, fixing things. There was, you know, a good feel amongst them. Jamie gave Janelle a cell phone, which she hid so that she could talk to him every day. And she said that they talked for long periods of time and cell phone records showed how often they were contacting each other. But things went awry when Billy Payne had a baby with his girlfriend, Billy Jean. Yes, that's right. They are both named Billy. What does this have to do with Janelle? Well, you wouldn't think anything, right? Yeah. So Billy Payne was Tracy's brother. Remember, she introduced Janelle to her brother and her cousin. Janelle and Jamie are seemingly having a relationship. However, it appeared as if though Janelle had quite a crush on Billy Payne. And she was very jealous mm. when he and his girlfriend had a baby together. And these tensions turned into a Facebook war. And this is really where we start getting into the cyber-stalking element. Janelle claimed around this time, and this was around the time that Billie Jean and Billy Payne had a baby. I'm gonna have mm-hmm. to keep saying that and <laughs> okay. sometimes say the two Billies. Yeah. But she said that people were posting terrible messages on her Facebook, that she was ugly, that she was a loser. She said there were threats on her Facebook, that they were going to rape her, that they were going to hurt her. She called the police several times. But Janelle was also writing terrible things online as well about Billie Jean, saying that she was a slut and that Billy Payne was a drug dealer. She also wrote that someone should kill them and their devil baby. So we're looking at a situation where violence was really escalating. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to point out that cyber stalking can have serious consequences and dangerous ones. We tend to think of this as like behind the screen, right? There's no real harm involved here, which we used to hear with white collar crimes. And even initially, before stalking was passed as a law, well, you know, it's not like they hurt someone that they put their hands on them. But there are several cases now that we know and several examples I can give where cyber stalking escalated mm-hmm. into something much more than that or was used to perpetrate a much more serious crime. Have you ever? ever heard of the case of Gary Delapenta? I have not. Okay, he stalked a woman online after she repeatedly rebuffed his advances, someone he knew, and what he would do is he would post ads online posing as her, as his victim, and saying that she was looking, and you quote unquote, mm-hmm. she was looking for men to fulfill her rape fantasies. Oh god, and providing her house, her address, how to get in, or ways to possibly break in online. Oh, whatever and, happened? Yes. What happened was that men started showing up all hours of the night, trying to break into her house, trying to knock That's down so her scary. door. She started putting notes on her door saying, this is not me. Someone else is doing this to me. I do not want I would this. have had the
1: police just come and sit outside my house.
0: She definitely involved the police, of course. But Della Penta went online and then reposted the notes are part of the fantasy too. <sighs> the rejection, the severity, this is all part of the fantasy. Like making it, I want to make it as hard as possible or I'm resisting as much as possible. So this was obviously a terrible case. He was eventually caught. And I think he was caught by the victim's father who helped trace him. And Dela Penta was sentenced to six years in prison for cyber stalking and solicitation to commit sexual assault. So I thought that was a good outcome mm-hmm. and a good message. We know of several cases as well in which victims who were were cyber bullied or stalked have committed suicide. Mm-hmm. You know, when we were talking about Michelle Carter case, mm-hmm. but we know of other ones where people were egged on to commit suicide online or harassed or threatened or bullied or shamed or those cases where photos were released, inappropriate videos. It's becoming a much more serious crime that people are much more aware of. But it wasn't until 1999 that the first anti-cyber stalking laws were passed. Mm-hmm. And that was in California. And by the way, that was where the De La Penta case happened. So it seemed like California was progressive in that way. Back to our story, though. The virtual violence escalated to rocks being thrown at Janelle's house with both Billy's names on it. This is bizarre, but and I'm not sure if this is proven who did this, but there were these Huge rocks, like the size of two fists put together or something mm-hmm. like that, that were thrown into like Janelle's yard, the potter's yard that had the Billy's names on it. You know, so she was saying that it was a threat. However, it's still unclear as to who did this. But after that happened and a couple other incidents happened, Billy, Billy and Janelle all basically unfriended each other on Facebook.
1: Okay, I mean, which is a big deal for some people. This is a big deal for, oh my
0: God. This was like a big remember when that first happened like when you like you first got unfriended you're like Wait, yes. what? <laughs> now I'm like just unfriend me. I don't I don't want any more Facebook friends. <laughs> after they unfriended each other on Facebook and after the rock incident, the violence took on a whole new direction. On January 31st, 2012, a friend of Billy Jeans went to their home and discovered that the couple were dead, both of them. Both, oh, Billy and Billy, Billy and Billy, both that had is. escalated fest. They both were shot in the face. And the baby, their son, was alive, covered in blood, cradled in his mother's arm. It seemed obvious that she was cradling him. How old mar- was the baby? The baby was seven months old. Oh, my God. So it was either that Billie Jean grabbed and cradled him to save him, or she was holding him when she was shot oh, in the face. Geez. You think about that? Holding a baby, someone is able to shoot you in the face while holding a baby. The baby wasn't harmed, but of course, the harm down the line is yeah. severe. Also, Billy Payne, the baby's father, his throat was slashed as well. This is very personal. This is very personal, and it's very vicious. Mm -hmm. It was a very brutal crime scene, and the investigation began there at the scene. But there wasn't much in terms of physical evidence at the scene. You know, they couldn't find fingerprints. There were no leftover shell casings. They didn't find, you know, other forms of DNA. Nobody left behind a phone. You know, all all these things that you might expect or not expect, but hope for. And so one investigator quickly commented that this looked like a hit, a professional hit. So think about that, a professional hit. Janelle and her parents were visited very quickly by the police because of this small town. Everybody in town knew about this feud. Everybody. Janelle's father, Buddy, was annoyed by the interview, but Janelle was willing to talk. Janelle was willing to share information about her rivalry with the deceased couple. She said that they harassed her endlessly, and when asked why, she said that her rivals thought she was just too pretty. Investigators note it was a bizarre conversation. Janelle displays emotional immaturity when she speaks. And I'm going to encourage everyone like we do, go listen to a video of her. She sounds very childlike. But well, she, she was treated
1: very childlike. That's not surprising.
0: Right. This this definitely was, you know, a, a way in which she was socialized. And But she was also willing to share this information. But Janelle said that she didn't know anything about this crime. You know, she didn't hate them. She just didn't like them. And she didn't want to be harassed anymore. But she was sorry that this happened to them. The police also discovered, though, you know, they started looking into Janelle's communications as well. And they discovered this romance with Jamie Curd. And remember, Mm -hmm. he is the older cousin of Tracy Greenwell. Mm -hmm. You got this. Even though, get this, Janelle lied to the police about their romance. And, well, that's a good question. Maybe because she didn't want her parents to know. Whatever the actual answer is, this made the police pretty suspicious. Mm -hmm. You can't lie to the police. Yeah. They saw all of the text. They saw how long they were on the phone for. And they knew. They're like, we were able to quickly establish that these two were having a romance and she was lying. Mm -hmm. And so. then if she's lying about
1: that, what else is she lying about? What else is she lying
0: about? But also, it made them very interested in Jamie Mm Curd. Okay. So they invite him to the police station for an interview <laughs> and he agrees to go, He goes willingly and they ask him to take a polygraph and he takes a polygraph willingly, mm-hmm. but he fails. And they let him know you failed. And they think he's the main suspect.
1: More so than Janelle.
0: They think Janelle maybe is involved, but Mm -hmm. that they're looking at him as the actual
1: doer, the Mm -hmm. shooter. They probably think she doesn't have it in her. She's too childlike to pull it off.
0: I think so. I think that was probably it. So uh, they invite him to stay for an interview. (laughs) And he winds up talking to the police without a lawyer for hours. But this is odd. At one point, Jamie says to them, can I ask you a question? And the police say, "Okay." And he says, is the CIA here? And the police says, why would you ask that? It's such a bizarre question. And Jamie says that a man named Chris, who was in the CIA, had been texting him about Janelle, stating that he was assigned as a CIA agent to protect Janelle from harm. I, I mean, I'm, I'm not making this up, These the, the, the bizarre turns and twists, this is why they say real life is stranger than fiction. And the police were a little bit perplexed by this, and, you know, Jamie went on to deny involvement for a little while, but after a couple of hours, after I think it was about four or five hours, Jamie tells the police that Janelle's father, Buddy Potter, killed Billy Jean and Billy Payne. Hmm. But the police were pretty skeptical because Buddy had a lot of medical issues. In fact, he was on an oxygen tank and Mm -hmm. had a little trouble moving around. And so they didn't think that Buddy had the physical ability to pull off these crimes. Nonetheless, the police ask Jamie to call Buddy and they're going to record it. They want to see if Jamie can elicit any type of information about the crime. And though Buddy doesn't outright admit committing the crime, he actually says something to the effect, Jamie says, well, did you get rid of everything from the house, from the scene? And Buddy admits to, yeah, yeah, I got rid of everything from the crime scene. That's about it. He didn't say he killed him, but he said, yeah, yeah I got rid of everything. And you can hear it. And it's it's damning mm-hmm. enough. Damning enough that the police turn around and they arrest Buddy.
1: So they bring Buddy in now for, I have a theory. He was helping out his daughter. So is it possible that they were in cahoots, Jamie and Buddy? It's possible.
0: The police bring Buddy in now. He is a former Marine and he claims, and I say claim because I don't know if this is substantiated. He claims to be a former CIA agent who sits down and talks to the police without a lawyer. Hmm. I think that sounds a little skeptical to me. I don't think that would actually happen. And also, when I watched an interview later on, I say claim because I watched an interview with his wife, Barbara, and they the reporter asked her, was your husband in the CIA? And she says something strange like, well, he says he was. It's not, you know, no one's saying that he's... Outright, I know that's kind of a hard thing like you can't really verify someone, you know, you can't call the CIA yeah. and ask them, but it's it's a little bit bizarre. There's something almost missing in this mm-hmm. story, I guess. All right, so Buddy sits down, he denied involvement in the crime initially, but then he starts to not unravel mm-hmm. a little bit, but he starts to get upset and tell the police that, "Look, I couldn't handle what was going on with my daughter. These people were threatening my daughter. These people were threatening to rape her. They were threatening the to police. kill her." Exactly. In a, in another bizarre turn of events, eventually, he asks if he can call his wife, Barbara. Police say yes. He calls his wife, Barbara, and on the phone, he told her, I did it. I basically- Does he think the police weren't listening? No, I think he knew All they right. were listening. Okay. Um, he said that he did it and that he was, you know, I don't know if he said sorry, but he admitted on the phone to murdering both Billies. And, you know, this is his confession- Barbara, by the way, later on would say that this confession was made under duress Mm -hmm. because he was held there for hours without his medications, which he had several of, and without his oxygen tank. So it's an interesting point in terms of confessions and what we know about people Mm -hmm. making false confessions under duress. And I'm not saying that's what happened here. So the police search the Potter's house now. Now they've got Buddy under arrest. They have now a warrant to search his house. They find an arsenal of guns and knives. I mean, they said that the house was packed. They also said one of the odd things they found was that there were pictures of Billie Jean and Billy Payne all over the Potter living room. Pictures just taped up or framed, but also pictures that look like they were ripped in half and maybe taped back together. So creepy. Yeah, it's in the house that all that they all share. Yeah. Which is mm-hmm. yeah. One of the detectives said, Did it well, did it look like, you know, people who have pictures of their friends and someone else said no. It it looked like
1: it looks it, creepy. I, I think it's that creepy like cut. a war room almost like.
0: Yeah, like maybe a stalker or something of that nature. They found three garbage bags of shredded documents in Buddy's van, and an agent was able to put them back together.
1: That's so cool.
0: It's so cool, but it took so long. I can't even imagine. It actually was assembled
1: back into like a 100 pages. They definitely made an intern do that.
0: I don't know. I think they actually had a real, like, I think they had an agent do this one, but it sounds like an intern job. They basically assembled this back into a 100-page document that contained emails from this Chris. Do you remember Chris. He was the supposed CIA agent yes. that Jamie was talking mm-hmm. to, Janelle's boyfriend. And these emails were back and forth to Barbara and Buddy from Chris. And they were essentially all these warning emails. And they were warning Buddy and Barbara that the Billies, Billy Payne and Billy Jean, were planning to hurt Janelle very seriously and that they should take this serious. They also claimed to be assigned by the CIA oh, to protect Janelle. Chris said that he was surveilling all of them, and Barbara wrote to him saying that she was really getting worried, and she would not let anyone harm her daughter, and the emails seemed to indicate that Barbara was involved in possibly the planning of these murders or attacks as well. But, as Amy might have guessed, and as you all might have, police traced every email from Chris back to guess whose IP address? Janelle's. That is correct. Which means that Janelle catfished her own parents. I'm assuming with the help of Jamie. There's no evidence. Wow. It seems as if though Jamie was catfished too. Remember when he oh, was brought Jesus. in when he was brought into the police station,
1: he said, Can I ask if the CIA is here? I've received these messages uh, oh my from God. Chris. So she set up her whole like she set up her own family to kill someone on her behalf. That's what it's looking <gasps> like. This is God. Right? Yeah. I want to talk just briefly about catfishing
0: because I think this is a little bit. In, in... There was
1: a whole show on MTV. You... A lot of our listeners are young and they probably. When was that like?
0: It was a while ago. It was when there was first the evolution of catfishing. So, what is catfishing? First of all, it's, you know, luring a victim online by
1: pretending to be someone else, by creating a fake identity. Megan, you ever see the documentary Catfish? I haven't, no. So, there was this guy, he was a New York photographer, and he received a Facebook request from a child named Abby. And Abby sends him all of these things, like these paintings that she did, and they have this online relationship. And then he goes on, you know, they start flirting and he goes on a road trip to visit her. And I'm not going to give it away, but the whole documentary is about this. And let's just say he may have been catfished.
0: Yeah, yeah. I know the documentary. I haven't seen it, but I, that, this is where I guess the the term was coined, So this man is using this catfish story to describe his wife, who's the subject of this documentary. And I know it has something to do with, oh gosh, catfish and cod and catfish and cod being shipped together because the catfish keep the cod like alert and alive. And so that's where the phrase came from. It's like a metaphor because there's someone in, you know, your life or everyone's life who keeps you totally alert and kind of on your on your toes and always, you know, thinking. So that's why they named the documentary Catfish. And that's where the term came from. Catfishing is usually for dating purposes, or I want to say fraud purposes. Yep. Um, have you ever seen the show Web of Lies? I've heard it's, of it. It's on investigative discovery. And it's a series devoted to victims of crimes who've been catfished and oftentimes murdered by an assailant who's pretending to be someone else online. It's really quite terrifying. And I imagine for our parents whose kids are online, they also have serious concerns for their children's safety. Catfishing in itself isn't a crime, though, but I think it's similar to cyberstalking in that the law hasn't caught up yet.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, let me give you a famous case I know of. This is the most famous one I know of that involves catfishing and can highlight the problems with this issue or this crime. In 2005, when 46-year-old Thomas Montgomery, a married father who was basically bored began a romance with 18-year-old Jesse, who went by the handle tall, hot, blonde. <laughs> Things got hot and heavy quickly, online anyway. But Thomas was pretending to be 18-year-old Tommy by submitting a picture of himself when he was 18 years old and he was in uniform because he was a former Marine. So that's who 18-year-old Jesse thought she was having a romance with. She thought it was 18-year-old Tommy until... Thomas's wife Cindy discovered this online affair and she wrote to Jesse explaining that her husband was a middle-aged man and not some young marine anymore and she sent Jesse a family picture of them oh jeez uh, you know revealing this is he's got children and a family well Jesse became very angry and she broke things off with Tommy but shortly after this she began another online romance with a much younger coworker of Thomas Montgomery's by the name of Brian Barrett. And this led to an all-out rivalry between Brian and Thomas who desperately wanted Jesse back and still this fantasy world back. And when Thomas found out that Brian was going to meet Jesse in person, he murdered Brian, shooting him to death. The investigation, first of all, quickly led to Thomas as the culprit. But police got a very big surprise when they went to meet Jesse. She wasn't who she said she was either. Exactly. Jesse was actually 45-year-old housewife Mary Sheeler who stole her daughter's identity to catfish both of these men because Stop. she was also looking for some excitement. This has to be a future episode, also. That's insane. Right? Wow. And, but here's what happened Montgomery receives, Thomas Montgomery receives a 20 year sentence. I think there were some mitigating factors here um, for the murder. And Mary Sheeler received no punishment at all because the law doesn't punish catfishing.
1: Is that fair? No, it's not, but it's very complicated. It is very like, complicated. Like who's responsible for that death? She definitely had something to do with it, but- But the law you hasn't caught up. Yeah, wow, okay. Back to where we're at with the arrests, okay? Because we
0: <laughs> we have arrests basically of everyone. Let's start with Buddy Potter. Buddy Potter was convicted at trial in 2013 and sentenced to two life sentences in prison. Right. Okay. Jamie Curd cut a deal with the police for 25 years in prison. According to him, and it could never be contradicted, he said that he drove Buddy to Billy Payne and Billy Jean's house, and he acted as lookout while Buddy committed
1: the crimes. What did he get convicted of, an accomplice?
0: Yeah, he got 25 years as an accomplice to murder. 25 years as an accomplice, but you said it was never... Nobody corroborated it. Nobody ever said a thing. Buddy never said a thing against Jamie. So Jamie got 25 years because of his cooperation, because he talked to the police and made the recording. Okay. You know, it can't be contradicted because Buddy's never said anything. But remember, the police were very concerned with Buddy's physical condition. and Whether or not he could slash someone's throat. Yeah. Although if that's a first act, I'm -hmm. not saying he couldn't do it. He was a big guy and he had former military experience. Barbara and Janelle went to trial in 2015, two years later. In their trial, the prosecutor provided the Chris emails from Janelle's IP address, arguing that she was goading her parents into committing this crime. But her lawyer said she couldn't have because Janelle has a very low IQ and doesn't have the mental capabilities to plan a murder. But she did. Well, he says, no, it wasn't her. Uh, They're still arguing. Uh When when Janelle, just so you know, Janelle was interviewed on 2020. Mm -hmm. Might have been Matt Gutman. He said over and over again, aren't you, Chris? This goes, no, I have no idea who Chris is. I don't know. It's not me. Even though it was Mm -hmm. always traced to her IP address. Then we have at trial a surprising witness. A former high school peer of Janelle's named Chris Jaden, someone she had a pretty big crush on and someone who went into security, was supposedly the person whose identity Janelle stole to catfish her parents. Commentators described Janelle as being mesmerized by Chris's testimony and not being able to take her eyes off of him. An odd moment and definitely a surprise turn. Prosecutors provided evidence of a text message that Janelle sent to Jamie on the morning of the murder. This was also damning. This was really early. It was like 4.30 or 5 o'clock in the morning saying, he's leaving now. And in a little while after that, I love you. Text me ASAP. Which prosecutors think was Janelle referring to her father leaving to commit, yeah. you know, leaving the house now. And mm-hmm. I love you. Okay. This was the extent of the evidence though. Against Barbara, it was the emails back and forth with Chris indicating that she would do whatever she needed to protect her daughter and that she had talked to Buddy about it. She never said anything outright about murders, so this is a very circumstantial case. But what would the jury think?
1: What do you think? Against who? Which one? Barbara and Janelle. Guilty, guilty, guilty. Well, I think if Jamie got accomplice, if he was charged as an accomplice, then that's at least what they should get.
0: Yeah, no, that you were right. The jury okay. found the two women guilty and they convicted them both of first degree murder and sentenced oh. them to life in prison in Tennessee.
1: Oh, okay. I would have so did they have evidence that the women were That's the evidence they had. Okay. The emails and the text messages. Okay, but they didn't have any like evidence of them at the scene.
0: No. They were. At, they I don't think they were okay. at the scene. I think Janelle Potter is a very interesting woman who, although childlike in many ways, is also more, much, so much smarter than anyone has ever given her credit for and certainly more manipulative. I have theories to explain it. I think that Janelle is narcissistic. She is constantly refers to herself and what happened to her, and it's always about her. And I think that she used the techniques of neutralization to rationalize killing these people. Specifically, when we talk techniques, those are those situational excuses that people use ahead of time to justify bad behavior and preserve the image, their image of being a good person. Denial of victim? Exactly. So I think Janelle used the denial of victim because she thought they were bad and she thought she was the victim, but I think she used denial of injury too because I think that when we talk about denial of injury, you're either denying injury because you don't think it's gonna harm someone or because you think they're blameworthy.
1: Or denial of responsibility. Since she wasn't the one who physically did it. Um,
0: So, okay, yeah, denial of victim. As you said, denial of responsibility, Mm -hmm. denial of injury. We've got three of our five techniques there, okay? Um, But now let's talk about her family. I think her family committed the crimes for her also because of the techniques of neutralization. And specifically, what technique do you think her family would use because of their, you know, allegiance to Janelle?
1: I would say appeal to higher loyalties, although it's strange because usually you would think parents are higher loyalties to a child, but this is not a typically functioning family.
0: No, and higher loyalty, like your higher loyalty is, can be your loyalty, yes, to your family, could be Mm -hmm. loyalty to gang members or whatnot. But I think because of their loyalty to Janelle, Mm -hmm. these otherwise law-abiding people pretty much Mm -hmm. went ahead and committed this crime. Yep. I also think there's a lot of rational choice here on Janelle's uh, behalf. Um, rational choice—we've only talked about um, a few times—but it's the theory that we all make choices, whether or not we want to commit crime. But in doing so, we actually make a series of choices. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's somewhat not always methodical, but it's it's more than just yes or no. For Janelle, she wanted these two gone um, for whatever her reason was. So she began systematically sending messages to her family. She took all these steps. As you see, she lays the groundwork. She helped to plan and initiate a murder. I think she kept making these decisions and this required a series of steps that helped her to convince her family to kill for her. So I think she's a hell of a lot more capable than anyone ever thought. And while she may have been emotionally immature, I don't believe that negates her responsibility. And I totally think agree. <laughs> she's a lot a lot more mature in other ways than some people might think. And that's uh, that would be pretty much my explanation uh, theoretically. Would you agree or do you have anything else to add before we move on?
1: You've brought up Tittle's control theory. Would you see control deficit at all to explain Janelle's actions? Because she felt
0: that she had a lack of control in yeah. her life. It's possible. So, you know, people do when they feel like they don't have they don't have a balance of control. Like people have to feel like they have a certain amount of control, but people also have to be controlled by others, right? We can't be allowed to just run loose. So you could argue that Janelle had a control deficit and that she felt that she had to gain back her power and control in some way. I could see that as well. Uh, All right. So did the criminal justice system get it right? Our last area. This is a complicated one for me, but I'll give you my opinions and then you can give me yours. Um, For Marvin, yes. Even though he was manipulated, he still killed two people in cold blood, I think, or what we know, in a vile manner and one with a baby in Mm her arms. And I don't think there's any getting around that. And as a
1: father, I'm just surprised he'd be able to do that.
0: As a father, I think that's also a good point. I'm not sure about Jamie Curd because I suspect that he did more than he said. I know that he got 25 years and that's, you know, we usually look at second degree murder as 25 Mm -hmm. years. And I'll tell you, if his involvement was exactly limited to driving and being a lookout, even though I still think these are vile acts, I think 25 years would be appropriate. If he did more, and I suspect he did more, I think he got away. Mm Because he's going to have the chance. Why for wouldn't
1: one of the other people throw him under the bus, though, to try to cut deals or something? Well, Buddy didn't
0: throw anyone under the bus. But I don't think Buddy ever talked again. He confessed that initial time, mm-hmm. maybe because he felt guilt, maybe because not. Maybe he was taking the rap for everyone. Yeah. I think being like the almost like the patriarch. Yeah. So, or maybe it's exactly that Jamie wasn't any more involved than he said. I'm not really sure. I don't think we can be positive. Um, I'm a bit conflicted about Barbara as well, because I think she was definitely involved, but I think she was so highly manipulated and her involvement was, you know, kind of more peripheral or to a lesser extent. What did she get again? She got life in prison also. Yeah. I'm not, I'm just not sure. I'm not sure either about that. I could be convinced, um, you know, either way. Janelle, life in prison, absolutely. I think she- Yeah, she's the mastermind here. I think she planned this entire thing and I think it was an act of revenge. And I think, just so you know, I think Janelle is a highly dangerous person who would continue to pose a danger, really, to anyone she she became attached to and who possibly rejected her. That's another
1: one. She has attachment issues.
0: She absolutely does. Okay, so I think life in prison is appropriate and although it won't bring back- you know, this little boy's parents, at least it will incapacitate Janelle and Mm -hmm. keep her where she couldn't
1: harm someone else. Mm -hmm. I agree with you, especially the point about Barbara. You know, without looking deep into the case, it's possible there's more evidence of her involvement. But from what I've heard, I don't think there's enough evidence to show that she had such a strong part in this. Right, to support a life sentence. Yeah, Yeah, that's a tough one.
0: Um, It also brought up, today's episode also brought up a few other cases that we're now interested in. So we're going to have to add a... No problem. All right. Well, before we go today, we have some questions that
1: came from our patrons. Megan, we have three questions today. Wow. Yes. All right. So the first one comes from Ardea and she wants to know is there anything you often see in crime drama shows slash movies that stands out as particularly unrealistic? Everything? Love this question. (laughs) Sorry. No, it's a great
0: question. Um, so many things that are unrealistic. For me, the two biggest ones, obviously the CSI effect. Whereby, you know, a case is solved like super quickly through um, you know, fingerprinting DNA, and then the same agents go and you know make the arrest. and you know, this is all these are all different op- operating bodies. And the, in reality, it's usually someone in a lab who looks at fingerprints for months before maybe cracking a break. So the CSI, you know notion. And the second one is the idea that um there are ever or really criminal trials um and that they happen quickly and expeditiously. In reality, everything, almost every case is solved via a plea bargain or resolved via plea bargain. So, you know, the whole trial hallmark thing is just not realistic. That
1: wouldn't make for a good show, though, or a good movie. Plea bargaining is not as, you know, not as exciting as a trial. Not at all. The only thing I want to add is when you talk about the CSI effect is I have many, many students that want to be FBI profilers or, you know, because on TV, it looks like such a cool, sexy job. But it's kind of a lonely job, similar to someone who's sitting in a lab. You're not like always on the scene with like your good looking partner, (laughs) like trying to solve some crime. Totally right. So awesome. I love that question. Thank you so much. Carol wants to know, I love this question. I'm taking this one first, sorry. If you could make one change to a law that would have the biggest impact related to criminal justice, what would it be? That's a fantastic question. I know what your answer is going to be. Go ahead. I don't actually, I think you'll be surprised. Oh, okay. All right. Well, I, I have, I can talk about this for days, so it's hard to just pick one, but I'm going to say plea bargaining. Uh, okay. And you what, wouldn't have said plea bargaining. What's the change to the law though? Well, that prosecutor should not have so much discretion. Oh, okay. So, all so, right. so it's more prosecutorial discretion, but I think as it relates to plea bargain, because if people are innocent until proven guilty... We need to have more trials. We need to have a system that has the bandwidth to have more trials. Cause right now the reason why everyone takes a plea is because these pleas are pretty sweet. Pretty sweet for a guilty defendant. They don't want them to go to trial because we don't have like I said, we don't have the bandwidth for it would clog the system. No one has the time and the money to bring all these cases to trial. But there's no incentive. No, there's no incentive people, to go to trial. When people are coerced to take these pleas that are just unfair and the overcharging and all of that crap. I mean, that probably would have been my answer. But What I, did you think I was
0: going to say? I thought you were going to say get rid of felony murder.
1: <gasps> yes. Yeah. I forgot about that.
0: I, I knew that.
1: I forgot about and how so strongly I'll, I
0: feel about I'll just say that I feel very strongly about getting rid of the felony murder rule. I'll also say and one thing that I've written about well, you. Well, can you
1: explain felony murder for the listeners who might not know exactly? Or can I? Yeah, you should. i would never explained it right. Okay. So felony murder... And I find felony murder interesting because every time I teach it, not one student in my class had ever heard of it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what's the purpose of having this if it's not a deterrent to the public because the public doesn't know about it? So felony murder says if anyone dies during the commission of a felony, then you are responsible for those deaths. I think the simplest example is you rob a bank and somebody dies of a heart attack because you scared the shit out of them. You are now Under the felony murder statute, you are held liable for that person's death, even though you did not have the mens rea to. But doesn't this also extend to where I see it most and where it's
0: more problematic for me is the people who were in a commission, like of a robbery, and someone else shoots the clerk, and they're held responsible, that's also felony murder. Wouldn't that be accomplice it's a liability? It's accomplice liability, too. But it kind of falls under, depending they, what state you're in. They it, still get, I know a number of guys in Rahway who are still charged with felony murder yep. under that statute, even though they never, they didn't pull a trigger or do yep. anything, and someone else actually did.
1: Yeah, so accomplice liability is sometimes under felony murder, depending on what state you're in. But yeah, you're absolutely right. And Thank you for reminding me that that is one of the worst parts of our system. Oh, also stop cash bail for oh, good. Yes. Okay. I thank mean, we've made some movement on that. See, we, we'll go forever. Yeah, no, we'll go forever. The whole system needs to be changed.
0: So <laughs> no, I stop. think an overhaul is really where we're at. But okay. Yes. Great question.
1: All right. Thank you so much. And the last question is someone said, why don't you guys ever talk about your pets? I want to hear about your pets. So Wait. I am happy to do that. I thought
0: we did talk about our pets. Well,
1: I'm ready to talk more. Oh, you start. Go ahead. Okay. So my fur baby is Toby, and Toby is a Bichon Papillon, and he is about 10 pounds of white fluff, and he dances on his hind legs, and he is just the cutest and he's been featured on some of our instagram yeah he's has right? our daily harvest ads too yeah because he'll do <laughs> he's what? always trying to eat tricks for treats tricks for treats yes <laughs> what about your baby i love your baby well first
0: of all i just want to comment that amy's dog is the cutest puppy in the world and she sends me pictures probably daily of the cute things that he does and it doesn't ever end so my fur baby um is Kaya. And she is a mutt. She's about 45 pounds. She's shepherd, Staffordshire terrier, and some chihuahua, believe it or not. I she believe is, it. She has that look to her. She's got beautiful fur. She's like black, white, um, She's, uh, orange. she's
1: definitely featured on our Instagram. She's on there too. Okay. She's
0: got those pretty, they look sad eyes, but they're very like, you know, they, they literally speak to your soul. She has an underbite. She has the cutest underbite that keeps shifting, and James won't get her braces. I just don't
1: understand why. That's so obnoxious.
0: Um, I, l- I literally live to love my dog. I miss, um, my cat, unfortunately, is no longer with us, and I miss her so much. But my dog is, um, yeah, she's, She's probably sick of me by now because all I do is dote on her and hug her and talk to her. And when you move, you might get another one. I might get another one. That's true. Yeah. We're thinking about getting her a friend and we're looking to have a backyard. So
1: thank you so much for the questions. I love when they're a little lighthearted, too. Me, too. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And we're happy to share anytime about our, our dogs, just so you
0: know. Absolutely. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. And we'll see you next time on Women in Crime. Women in Crime is written and hosted by Megan Sachs and Amy Schlossberg. Our producer and editor is James Varga. Music composition is by Dessert Media. If you enjoy the show, please remember to subscribe and leave a review. You can also support the show while gaining access to ad-free episodes, exclusive AMAs, and other bonus content for a small monthly contribution through Patreon. For more information, visit patreon.com slash crime. Sources for today's episode include ABC News, History.com, News 24, an episode of
1: 2020, and the Daily Mail. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends.